After the resurrected Jesus had ascended to heaven, his disciples waited for the promised Holy Spirit, the helper and counselor who would be sent from the Father. The day of Pentecost was the day that promise was fulfilled. On that day, like a rushing wind from heaven, the Spirit of God was poured out upon his people. The people of God were now filled with the presence of God. The temple of God, once a building, was now his people, men and women filled with his spirit. That day, the church of Jesus Christ began, a people set apart to follow God, speak the good news, and embody the kingdom of God, fueled and empowered by the spirit. For where the spirit of the Lord is, souls are saved dead hearts of stone are transformed into hearts of flesh full of abundant life and where the spirit of the lord is truth is revealed he is himself the spirit of truth and he replaces the lies of the world with the truth of god's word and where the spirit of the lord is sin is conquered our eyes are opened to the wickedness of our sin, and the Spirit transforms us to become more and more like Christ. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, identity is secure. He reminds us of who we really are in Christ, citizens of heaven, sons and daughters of the one true God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, Christ is exalted. The Spirit shines a spotlight on Christ and what he's done reminding us of the cross, the empty grave, and the day that is yet to come, when Jesus returns to us again and makes his home among us. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for pouring out your Holy Spirit on your people. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of that legacy, um, not just something that happened in the past, but something that continues to influence us, um, something that continues to be uh, available, Lord, to all of your believers across the world today. So today, as we dig into the story of Pentecost and what it means for our lives, we ask, Lord, that you would move us and fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, and that you would bring us to a deeper understanding uh, of how we are to be people of the Spirit as we live this resurrected life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us today on this holiday weekend. And um, today is Pentecost, right? It's that church calendar year where we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on followers of Jesus. So that's what it is. Why is it important? Well, um, as the video just said, that's when the church was born. That's when it became uh, not just people who knew the gospel, knew about Jesus and his life, not just people who knew God, but people who then were filled with the presence of God himself. It changed things. We, have, we would have no church today without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It would be a very different experience. Many of us would wonder why we don't feel anything or experience anything if the Holy Spirit wasn't active and living and moving in our lives and through us and through the church today. So today we're turning a little bit of a corner in our series. The resurrected life, right, is what we've been talking about. These characteristics that we look for and lean into, if we as Christians are living into the power of the resurrection that we celebrated on Resurrection Sunday. 
And now we're turning the corner a little bit to a more corporate understanding, the resurrected church. What does a church look like? What does a gathering of believers look like if we are going to be leaning into that resurrection life and power and the power of the Holy Spirit? Our topics from here on out are going to be a little bit more about how God calls us to relate to each other, how God calls us to care for one another and live with one another in the body of Christ, and how we collectively strive towards this unity that is found in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as we carry out the mission, the work that Jesus then entrusted to us, to his church, as we hear him proclaim in Matthew 28. Now, talking about mission, uh, as a reminder to you, our mission here at Emmanuel is to grow deep relationships in Jesus Christ and to make Christ known to all. And as we've recapped in recent weeks with the visioning process that has been going on with council over the last number of years, uh, we are intentionally and we are carefully discerning uh, God's vision for Emmanuel and how God wants us to live out that mission in specific ways that only we can do as Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Because God has brought this group of people together in this place at this time for a reason and for a purpose, and we want to know what God is calling us to do, given our current situation. So the Holy Spirit theology is one of those things that creates camps in Christianity. Talking about Pentecost is going to be different here than in some different kinds of churches, some different streams of Christianity. And I thought it'd be helpful for us to have a bigger understanding of where different, different camps, I guess for a lack of a better word, different tribes fall when talking about the power of the Holy Spirit as it relates to our daily lives. Uh, a church, um, there, there's, different, there, there's, there's, there's a different spectrum, right? And our experience is going to be different than somebody over here, than somebody over here. And you may know people that believe differently about the Holy Spirit and, and his role in our lives today. And so I want you to know these are broad generalizations, okay? Um, anyone from any one of these four camps that I'm going to describe could probably come to me and say that is way oversimplified, and that's true. It probably is. Uh, but what we're going to talk about is just so you get the basic idea of where different people might fall and where different church denominations or theological camps might be. So the first one is cessationists. Cessationists believe that the gifts have ceased. What do I mean by that? Now, the Holy Spirit shows up on Pentecost, and there's some supernatural things going on, right? And we're going to get into that in our Acts 2 passage today. Uh, but the cessationists believe that after the apostles, those early apostles that we see in the pages of the New Testament, the ones that wrote those letters to the early church, they believe that after those apostles, the church should no longer look for or experience God to gift his people in any sort of supernatural way. Uh, they would say it's not normal or normative. And, and so we shouldn't expect things like healings to be part of our day-to-day -day Christian life. We shouldn't expect things like speaking in tongues. We shouldn't expect things like signs and wonders or visions or dreams that mean something. We shouldn't expect those things to happen if we fall into that camp. Um, now, the next group is the functional cessationists. This is the best way that I can use. I've used this phrase for years um, and I heard another pastor use it, so it must be okay, right? Uh, functional cessationists. Now, this might not speak to the theology behind the Holy Spirit and the gifts and how it moves today, uh, but this, this looks at their lives and their teachings, and it, and it essentially comes to the same conclusion or result as it's lived out in their lives. So a functional cessationist might not say that the gifts have ceased or say that the Bible teaches that, uh, maybe you'd be kind of like me in my younger years. I was part of a, 
part of a church that didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, right? And so I believe that God could do those things. He just wasn't going to do them in them and through me. And so my life was the life of a functional cessationist. I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't leaning into that. I wasn't open to God moving and working in my life in any sort of supernatural way. Fortunately, God did anyway, and we'll talk about that later. But functional cessationists might be in different theological camps. They might be all over the place on what they believe the Bible teaches. But at the end of the day, they're not leaning into those things. They're not looking for those things. They're not learning more about those things, and they're not prioritizing those things. And that can be on an individual level or on a church level. So functionally, they act as those who believe that the Holy Spirit's power did die out with the early apostles. The next group, as you kind of move along the spectrum, uh, we'll call charismatics or continuation. Words are hard, friends. Continuationists. Continuationists. I think that's right. Uh, These are people that believe that those gifts continue through the church. That when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the followers of Jesus, it wasn't just for a generation. It was for all of God's people until Jesus returns. Um, Personally, I think this is more where we find the scriptures teaching and leading us. Uh, So the gifts continue, including miracles, well lived out and practiced in humility. This is a big thing. And uh, that they're part of our faith in God and our relationship with God means that we're going to have an openness to experience God doing this. We would not pray for somebody to be healed by God's power if we didn't believe the Holy Spirit could do that, right? So one of the things that we do often is we pray for healing. We pray for people to come to a revelation or a deeper understanding of God's love and grace. And and part of the charismatic movement is one that um, expects God and and is open to God showing up in that way. And then we go one click over on the spectrum to the other end, the fourth group, and we're just going to call them full-on Pentecostals, because I don't know how else to say that. Um, And maybe the Word of Faith movement rings a bell. Maybe you've been part of a church or experienced um, this segment of Christianity that really, really wants to have these gifts present every time that they come together in worship. Uh, they would say things like speaking in tongues means that you're saved. And if you don't speak in tongues, they would question your salvation. I've had that happen in my own life before, right? And this movement, I would say, has caused a lot of harm. It's caused a lot of harm in the church. And it uses God's word or gifts of the Spirit to sort of beat people over the head if they're not having the same breakthrough that they're having. Um, Maybe in their greatest moments of weakness or their greatest moments of struggle, Uh, People in this camp might say things like, you've not been healed of cancer because you don't have enough faith. I don't believe that reflects God's love and grace in the New Testament. Or or maybe since you don't speak in tongues, um, you're not really a true Christian because tongues were the evidence in the New Testament that everybody was actually a Christian. Into this group might also fall the snake handlers. And if that makes you nervous, it makes me nervous too. I've had a few conversations with people in the church that joke about snake handling, and they don't want to do that here, and I agree. Um, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not going to look for danger or look for injury to prove that God can heal that. It's not that God can't do those things, uh, but this movement, this sort of full-on Pentecostal movement, practically seems to worship the gifts of the Spirit rather than the giver of the Spirit, right? And, and there's too much of an emphasis, I would argue, is put on that experience And those things become something that is worshipped, right? And something that 
actually can distract you from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would also say that many people in those first two camps, the cessationists and the functional cessationists, many of the people in those camps are there because they've been hurt by people on the other end of the spectrum, by people who have taken something that was good from God and used it incorrectly or ineffectively or, or used it in a way to put down or demean somebody in the faith. So why, does, why is all this important? It's important for us to do a couple of things. First, uh, it's important for us to know this, to know the scriptures and how they teach on the Holy Spirit and how we as the body of Christ should be leaning into and experiencing God's presence in earth because that is what makes the church. We do not make the church because we just all happen to show up here at 9.30 on a Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit in us and through us is what makes the church. And we want to know what the scripture says about that, what the Bible teaches, and how we experience the Holy Spirit in a healthy way, in a God-glorifying way. Now, you might ask, where are you, Pastor Andrew? I think you can tell, probably, from my description, but I'm firmly planted in that charismatic group. I believe the Bible teaches that these gifts, this power of the Holy Spirit, it is the same Holy Spirit that works in us and through us today as it was that worked in and through the early church. And just because we might not be experiencing that power doesn't mean that other people in the church aren't, and it doesn't mean that we can't. And so I am firmly planted in that group, and I think much of the Lutheran history is also planted in that group because the Reformation can only be explained by an incredible, supernatural move of the power of the Holy Spirit. Believing that the Holy Spirit is the catalyst, it is the hero when it comes to us even having faith in Jesus Christ, Luther's small catechism says that it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can have faith in Jesus Christ. That's a paraphrase. And so when it comes to growing in that faith, when it comes to actually arriving in faith and saying Jesus is my Lord and Savior, guess what? We call that a powerful work of the Holy Spirit, and we cannot do it without him. Now, I've experienced churches in all of these different camps, right? I've been part of them. I've been on staff in some of them. I've worshiped with some of them. And one of, the, one of the most important things I want you to hear to, to kind of end cap this conversation is, that, is the blessing of seeing that the Holy Spirit is working in all of them. The Holy Spirit is working in all of them. If you don't believe the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in and relevant today, but you have faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit has done something supernatural and powerful in your life if you have faith. And so... Just because somebody's in a certain camp or a certain denomination doesn't move that the Holy Spirit can't work in them and through them. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us unity. It is faith in Jesus Christ that gives us unity. And as we learn about these things, as we learn about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit today, we remember that we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do not worship a theology. We do not worship a tradition. We do not worship a denomination. We worship Jesus who is alive and well. Our unity is in Christ, made possible through the blood of the cross, the glorious resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So let's dig into our Acts 2 passage. Let's dig into our Acts 2. Hopefully that gives you a better understanding and maybe helps better explain um, certain experiences you've had in the church over the years. Uh, But let's dig into Acts 2, specifically uh, answering both the questions about the resurrected life And the question, how can we tell when the Spirit of God is moving? Because this is something I think uh, our church, here at Emmanuel and across the Western world and our culture, we need to have some open eyes and get to know how the Holy Spirit works in our midst. 
So I'm going to kind of chunk through Acts in some sections here and just highlight a few things. We don't have time to go through everything verse by verse. So as we heard in, in verse 1 through 3 of Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit shows up, there is something supernatural that happens. What was it? There was the sound of blowing wind, like a violent wind, right? There was a sound of, of wind blowing, but they didn't see the wind or necessarily feel the wind. They heard it. And then there was a visual sign, right? Something like tongues of fire came down and rested on those followers of Jesus, on the believers. And then we see in verse 4 that they begin to speak in tongues. Now, on this point, there's two different ways that the Bible talks about speaking in tongues. So I want to be, be sure we're on the same page for what's happening here. Uh, one is like we see here in Pentecost. Those followers of Jesus were given the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak an actual language so that those in their midst from other places could hear the good news. The Holy Spirit gave them a way to communicate in a language that they didn't actually know. That's what speaking in tongues is referring to here in this passage. And, and you see the dialogue goes on. There's people from all these other different regions that Sue nailed in the pronunciation, and they, they knew what was being said to them, even though they knew these people did not know their language. They could hear it. Now, the other way that the Bible talks about speaking in tongues is like what we see in Romans 8.26, when it talks about the Spirit of God interceding with groans or utterances. Uh, this is more of a personal experience. This is more of like, if you've heard somebody say a prayer language, if somebody in prayer with the Lord doesn't know what to pray for, sometimes these utterances will flow from them. Now, that's something that's not like an upfront thing. It's not supposed to be a showy thing, and unfortunately, some people have used it like that in the past, uh, but it's just one of those tools that the Holy Spirit gives to maybe say the things that you don't even know you need to say, and sometimes that can happen silently, too. It doesn't have to be an audible thing. So we see that in the New Testament as well. There's these two different speaking in tongues experiences, and what we're looking at today in Pentecost is they are speaking actual languages so that people from different countries and regions could hear the good news and the gospel in their own tongue. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. So in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2, the first four verses of Pentecost, we have three very different but very unique displays of the Holy Spirit's presence. There's something audible that, sorry, ooh, that was weird. There's something audible that they could hear. There is something visible that they can see, the tongues of fire. And there's something supernaturally happening in them and through them. They're experiencing the presence of God speaking other languages. And I think we can summarize here that where the Spirit of the Lord is moving, where the Spirit of the Lord is moving, there can often be something like one of these things that is observable, that is experienced. But if we're not paying attention, I would argue that most of these things we miss in our experience of God in the church. If we're not looking for the Holy Spirit or even open to the Holy Spirit doing something observable, let's say observable, then we're probably going to miss it, right? And sometimes something powerful will happen in your life and it's years later that you can look back and say that was the Holy Spirit's presence doing something. My prayer for us is that we can begin to have open eyes and that we can observe what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst maybe through a Bible verse, as we'll talk about later, maybe through an impression or a vision or some encouragement that is on your heart to give somebody. The Holy Spirit can do things in many, many different ways. Skipping ahead to verse 13 of Acts, 
we see this commonly too. Um, there's some people there that think they're drunk, right? There's some people there that think the apostles are drunk. Some are in awe and wonder of a miracle that is happening. They're impressed. They hear the gospel in their own tongue, even though that shouldn't be possible. Others make fun of the apostles. Others make fun of the people speaking in tongues. And I found this to be true in our experience of Christianity today as well, right? Those who do not want to experience God's power or those who don't understand the ways that the Holy Spirit can work often make fun of or belittle powerful experiences that Christians have related to the Holy Spirit. It's easy to put someone down or make fun of them if you don't understand what God is doing in their life. And a lot of this belittling comes from other Christians, which I would encourage you don't contribute to. Don't contribute to. It brings disunity in the body of Christ, not unity. If the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life in a powerful way, let's humbly be open to that. Let's be discerning, let's be open-minded, let's make sure what's happening vibes with the word of God and the scripture, and let's be open-minded that God can actually do things that surprise us in our midst, or maybe even blows our understanding out of the water of God's love and grace. So don't contribute to the disunity that comes with belittling somebody who has a worshipful heart or is able to rejoice when it doesn't seem like they should be rejoicing or is able to have a powerful experience of God's presence, maybe we should be longing for those things as well. Now, verse 14, coming off this conversation, Peter starts his sermon to the crowd. And this is a great sermon. I encourage you to go back and read it again this week, maybe a couple times. And there's a couple things that show us in this sermon how the Holy Spirit is working in and through Peter and the people that are there in his midst. So I want to touch on four of those things today. The first is this, and I alluded to this earlier. Peter starts this sermon, and he is overflowing with Scripture. He's overflowing with God's Word, the Hebrew Scriptures. And he's overflowing with the wisdom about that Scripture and exactly how it applies to what God is doing in their midst in that moment. Now, Peter likely wasn't a scholar, right? He was a fisherman, which means he wasn't in the normal, like, educated religious class of their culture at that time. Jesus called him out of that to be his student, to be his disciple. And Peter did not have a commentary with him. He did not have a, a concordance with him. He didn't have the Bible app, and he didn't have Google. Now, most of us reading down here, reading this scripture, we would sit down at the computer, and we would Google all these things that he's referencing, Right? Or we'd pull up our concordance and we'd look at the footnotes and what scriptures he's quoting from the Old Testament. Peter just runs with this stuff. He just runs with it. He was somebody that wasn't supposed to know those things and to be that fluent. Yet the Holy Spirit works in him to recall specific scriptures from the Old Testament, again, that highlight exactly what God is doing in their moments in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because everything that was happening now in Peter's time, it had a contextual foundation laid in the Old Testament for what God was going to do when Jesus ascended and when the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people. So he's got this scripture and wisdom. And let me tell you, if you want to experience that, it does really help to know the scriptures and to be in them and to study them. It's easier for the Holy Spirit to put something in your mind and remind you of something that you know already than it is for him to plant something in your mind that is unfamiliar or foreign to you. So know the scriptures, dig into it, 
The second thing I want to highlight, Peter is filled with a boldness. <clears throat> this sermon starts the next verse after somebody is calling him a drunk, right? He is filled with a boldness, even in the presence of the critics, even in the presence of those who accuse him of being off his rocker. The Holy Spirit often gives a boldness to us as well. And we see that throughout the New Testament, and we see that throughout the history of Christianity. Our roots as a Lutheran church come in the Reformation. We see that in the Reformation, a boldness that can only be experienced and explained by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're available, if we're willing to God giving us a boldness in any given moment, I think that God will be willing to give us that boldness when we need it. And I think the church today needs a boldness when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to standing firm and rooted in Christ in this unity that we preach in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Our wishy-washy broken world um, needs some bold Christians to stand firm in it. So pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you with a boldness as well in those times when you need it. The third thing I want to highlight from this, this sermon uh, is that people listening to Peter, they are convicted. They're convicted. Verse 36 says that many were cut to the heart, is the phrase it used. It just went right in there, right? They were cut to the heart. In other words, Peter's message resonated with them, it convicted them, and it, it, it was like pushing or calling for them to respond in some sort of way. They needed to respond to God in that moment. Maybe you've experienced a sermon or a worship song or a powerful uh, faith experience that has convicted you. Um, I hope you have. I think it's really good for us to be convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a really good thing for us to remember the heart of God and to turn away and to repent from the ways that we forget. Which leads us to our fourth thing. Peter is led by the Spirit to challenge and encourage the people there, the crowd, to respond. To respond to this gospel, to respond to this good news. Now the Holy Spirit often moves in a way that challenges people to repent and to subsequently leads the person to repentance. So the Holy Spirit is working externally to, to, to challenge you to repent, and then the Holy Spirit's actually doing the work in you that allows you to repent, right? So the Holy Spirit gets all the credit. And sometimes we need to repent from a specific sin or a way of life. Sometimes we need to repent from this understanding that we think we know everything and we have it all put together. God's wisdom is vast. We do not know it all, let me tell you that. Sometimes we need to repent and come to faith for the first time or come back to the faith if we've wandered away or walked away. Here we see that there are like 3,000 people added to their numbers in one day. Many of these people are baptized. They respond, they are baptized. Many of them respond and they are changed forever by the gospel by the good news, because of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And if 3,000 coming to Christ through one message isn't a work of the Holy Spirit, supernatural, I don't know what is. The final thing I want us to see here today in our Acts passage is what the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit does and looks like in the early church. As I mentioned, we're turning a corner again from a more personal exploration of the resurrected life to a more church and community-focused one of the resurrected church. And as we see in verses 42 through 47 of Acts 2, the presence of the Holy Spirit, it changes their day-to-day -day experience with one another as the body of Christ. These believers devoted 
devoted themselves. They were committed. They were present in the church community. They were devoted to learning. They were devoted to growing, which means they were applying themselves to those things. They were devoted to communing together and fellowshipping together as the body of Christ. They were there. They were present. And then verse 43 says they were filled, that everyone was filled with the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. And yes, these are the supernatural ones too. Everybody got to experience the power of God as the Holy Spirit moved in their midst. And then they shared with anyone that had need. They, they were tremendously generous. And they even sold stuff, their own property, their own possessions, to take care of people as there was need. And then they praised God and they enjoyed favor in the community. Not just amongst their little house churches, but amongst the, the Gentiles and the Jews and the pagans and the heathens and the slaves and the slave masters. They enjoyed a favor because of this life that God was working in and through them as a church. Now that's quite a list of things that you can pull out of just five verses. Uh, and this is what happens with this spirit-filled church community. Where does this go? Verse 47 tells us that daily, daily God added to their numbers. Their life together, their openness to the Holy Spirit, their receiving of the gospel led to a way of life that gave them favor, and daily people were adding to their numbers. Daily people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Daily people were tasting and seeing that God is good. A church that is living into the resurrected life is going to be open to and seeking the work of the Holy Spirit in all things and in all times. Too often we show up to something with expectations and agendas and with our own understanding and we're not in a posture of humility to be challenged and led by God and the Holy Spirit. But a church that is living into this resurrected life is going to be open to the Holy Spirit moving and working. I don't think there's any biblical case you can make that would contradict that. And then a church that is living into the resurrected life by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a place where people are growing. It's going to be a place where people are committed and devoted and present in the gatherings of the body of Christ. It's going to be a place where people are often filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes even in supernatural ways where people are generous, where they are caring, where they are sharing with each other as anyone has need, and where others are coming to faith in Jesus Christ or returning to the faith after a long hiatus, after wandering away. It's going to be a place where people experience God's love and life and salvation. Friends, these are the characteristics of a resurrected church, and there's some, some that aren't on that list and some we're going to dig into more in the future here in this series. And we're going to do that, and I want to be sure, we're going to do that so that you know this. We're not just going to be learning about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. That's not enough for us as the body of Christ. Anybody can learn about. We want to experience him. We want to experience Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe even in a way that we can put our finger in and say, that is God working, clearly. The Holy Spirit coming on the church in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit today in our midst, is what moves us from knowing about Jesus and his gospel to experiencing Jesus and his gospel. 
At dinner last night, my daughter asked me the question, how do people know the story? You know, how, how do people know Jesus is real? And we're like, well, the Bible witnesses to that. And she's like, how do people know the stories are real, right? These are great questions coming from a nine-year-old. And I tried to explain this. Jesus is actually alive, and we know when we get to meet him. We know when we have that relationship. We know when we experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that Jesus is very much real. And many of you have had that experience in your life. And many of you might be longing for that experience in your lives. And so that's what I want to pray about here as I wrap up this message today. I want to pray that we would truly, without a doubt, experience Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as real because the Holy Spirit is filling us and moving us and giving us that experience. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for this day of Pentecost. We thank you, Lord, um, for pouring out your presence on your people so that we truly would never be separated from you. By grace through faith, Lord, you have made a way for us not just to intellectually know that we are forgiven, but to experience the grace and the love of God. To experience it. And Holy Spirit, we ask this morning, would you help us to experience it? Would you help us to know that you are truth, that you are freedom, that you are love? Would you help us to know, Lord, how much you deeply care for each and every one of us? Would you help us to know and experience how big your grace is compared to our shortfallings and our sin? Holy Spirit, would you convict us to repent from our sin, to turn away from what damages us, and to turn toward your goodness, your truth, and a life that is filled with the power of the resurrection. And Lord, as a church, as a local gathering of believers, we pray, God, um, that you would have your way with us. Lord, that you would work in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish in Story City, and Roland, and Randall, and this little area of the state that we call home. Lord, give us eyes to see where you are moving in our midst and in the community, Lord. And give us the boldness to join in your mission and your work. Lord, fill us with your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.